Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Well, welcome. If you're walking in, we're doing this a little different today. You can see Ian's not here today. Garrett Brown's here. Can we thank Garrett? Garrett and Leanne and the rest of the band will be leading us today. Ian's off today. He had a, uh, we gave him a full load over the Christmas season, so we gave him off today. We begin a new series uh, today called Kingdom Come. And I don't know about you, but um, do you really believe that the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming? And do you understand that word? And that's what we're hoping for over these next several weeks, especially in the months of January, as we talk about the kingdom coming. And a key aspect of the kingdom coming is worship and what it means to surrender to God. And I believe the more that we worship the more, and the more we surrender to God, the more actually the kingdom comes through us. But that's something we have to wrestle with and believe in and then even choose to do. And if you think about it and you look at the big idea that's going to be on the screen here today, the big idea is prayer surrenders us and ushers in his kingdom. And so today we're going to use this entire gathering as a way of praying. Now for some of you go, oh my, I wish I was watching the football game instead. But no, the good news is we're going to practice today a method of prayer that you may be familiar with or you might not be familiar with. But it's essential to us surrendering to God and bringing the kingdom of God through us. And that prayer method is actually the Lord's Prayer. Raise your hand if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. All right? And if you're not, that's okay too. And I grew up, I knew the Lord's Prayer really well and I could say it really fast. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Forgive us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespass. We forgive those trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgive us the kingdom and the power and the glory of yours forever. Amen. I can rattle that thing off. But that wasn't the intent. Even in the slow, more methodical, rote version of it, the goal is this connection with God. But today, here's what we're desiring, is to not just say it in a rote way, but to lead you through a six-part method where you stop after each of the six parts and you connect with God. And here's my challenge for you for the whole month of January. Will you make this prayer a focus every day? Would at least once a day, would you walk yourself through this methodical six-part method of connecting with God and allow it to inform you and shape you and guide you. That's what we're after today. And we're going to actually do this together. So the journey goes like this today. We will sing some about an aspect of the Lord's Prayer, and then we will actually give space for you to participate in that. So close your eyes for a moment. Take a deep breath. You had no idea what you're getting yourselves into. But we're a community that works out our salvation with God, and that's what we're doing today. So Father in heaven, we thank you for your kingdom, and we ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would lead us today. And then, Lord, surprise us 
how a rote prayer could actually be the launching point of a fresh way of connecting with you. In the end, Lord, thank you as possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who yearns to connect with us so much. Matthew 6, verse 9, verse 3, 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in many texts, it goes on to say, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever, amen. As I declared earlier, this is a six-part prayer. It can be said in a rote manner. Today, we're using it in a six-part method to help us connect with God. And what we're challenging you to do is to use this as a prayer focus uh, throughout the month of January. So let's start with part one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This part is about praise. It's all about praise. It's about starting with what we just sang about, this good, good father. Now, we know this. If you didn't have a good, good father, when that word father shows up, it's a stumbling block. And so that's one of the first tripping points in this prayer, is for someone at times to actually come to terms with being able to say father and have the trust because the earthly father didn't really reflect the heavenly father. But when declared... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The intent here is to hallow. But here's what I know. I don't even use the word hallowed. Does anybody use the word hallowed? I can can honestly say I don't think I use the word hallowed in all of 2019. But I would love for you to get comfortable with understanding the word hallowed and pondering how you could hallow your Father in heaven. Hollow, this is really this simple. Hollow is a term meaning to revere. It's a term meaning holiness to its highest level. It's this term of honor. I think about my wife's grandfather who passed away many years ago. He was a man I hallowed even though I didn't have the terms or the term. When I'd walk into his house, I was a little quieter than I'd usually be. And when I sat at his table, I was always kind of in awe of him. I hallowed him in a certain way. He had been a decorated war veteran, but he was also this humble, small man who had flown in, you know, two or three, three or four, I believe, wars and had survived. But he's also a craftsman with his hands, and he just had a lot of knowledge and wisdom. And so I hallowed him. And I had things I could say about him. He seems like such a compassionate man, such a wise individual. And I would hollow him my descriptions of him. What are your descriptors that help you most hollow your father in heaven, your father in heaven? I was running yesterday, and what I love about this prayer, it's portable. You don't have to be in front of your Bible. 
And I was working through the six parts as I was running. That actually, when I don't have music with me running outside, it's a way of actually passing the time. I don't suffer, I pray instead. The word that came to mind when I was focusing on hollowed was magnificent. Because I was pondering, I'm running on a rotating earth and I'm stuck to it and it works and I have this breath that I'm breathing. I'm like, this is magnificent that this works, God. And that's what, how I hallowed him at that moment. But that takes time, space, and reflection. But you can have it in your car and hallow him. You can have him as you're walking somewhere. You can hallow at any moment. So let's try right now. If it's best for you to write it down, grab the, any card in front of you. We've got a zillion cards in the pew. You can ruin anyone with some hallowing. Or just close your eyes and allow the moment to rise up. What are the characteristics? What are the words? Is it mercy? Is it grace? Is it magnificent? Is it, you're the holy one? I don't know what it is, but what are some words? Because then in a moment, I'm going to ask us to call those out. Maybe write this line down. God, I hallow you for you are, remember my answer yesterday? I hallow you for you are, take a moment, reflect on that because we're about to call those out. Lord, we acknowledge there are so many ways to declare who you are and how you are. Thank you for being Emmanuel, the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, the almighty God, the everlasting Father. Thank you for being the bread of life. Thank you for being mysterious and not fully known. Lord, we hallow you. Help us, Lord, to do this more as we go, as we lie down, as we eat. Lord, may it change our perspective in the moment about you. And so we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, go ahead and be seated. Look at the next line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. I want you to notice two key words here. Your kingdom come. The next one, your will be done. There's this challenge that we live in right now. It's this ongoing tension. Am I playing kingdom or am I playing earth while I'm here? And what does that mean? Well, the kingdom of God, we could probably rattle off some of the attributes, grace, mercy, peace, forgiveness, compassion, generosity. The kingdom is just ushering in all of this goodness, all of these heavenly ways. And then what's interesting, though, but we live on earth where it's about us and it's about us making sure we're secure, and it's about us getting our way, 
And they seem contrary, don't they? There seems to be these two things going on where we live on earth, but then there's this kingdom concept. And I don't know if you've been told this or reminded of this recently, but the intent is, is that we usher in the kingdom of God on earth. We all have day jobs or day activities or responsibilities, but the primary purpose we have when we put faith in our Father through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is to usher in the kingdom of God. Now, you might go, where does it say that? Well, let's go back to Genesis. You're created in what? The image of God. And then let's go now to the Gospels. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And then let's go to, to the New Testament writings where Paul says, you're an ambassador of Christ. And then he even says, you're a citizen of heaven on earth. I remember the first time I was told, I have this greater responsibility to usher in the kingdom of God. My first thought was, I'm not good at that. Anybody else relate? Because naturally we're not. We're decaying beings who are selfish and we're on a, this earth. And there peop, most people that we're around aren't playing the same game. And that's where I come back to the concept. Are you playing kingdom each day? Or are you playing earth? It's one of my primary sayings in my home when things are going awry. Hey, what game are we playing right now? Are we playing kingdom? Because it seems like we're playing a lot of earth. And I probably should say it more in the positive when I catch my kids. But that's my bad parenting. I probably should say, you're doing a really good job of playing kingdom right now. It seems like I only bring that concept up when it's not going very well. The kingdom is glorious when it comes and when we ushered in. The concept of forgiveness given to another person is there anything else like that? The concept of generosity, poured resources of your own that you think you should just have because it brings such security, released to another, oh my gosh, is there anything like that? Unconditional love, you totally screwed up. I cannot believe you did that. But you hold that person in this unbelievably gracious manner and still tell them the truth. Oh my gosh, is there anything better than that? The declaration to another vigil that, you know what, you are fully loved, you're imperfect, but you have a purpose in this world that God has for you. How edifying is that to a human soul? It's a glorious concept when we usher it in. And the reality, though, we choose our will too much over what? The will of the Father. But didn't we see? We've seen other people wrestle with the same concept. Jesus himself was stuck, got caught in this tension. When it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Remember what Jesus said? Oh, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in his most tenuous moment. So here's what's wonderful. We should feel a tension about this. Do not condemn yourself for the tension. But we have the power and ability to live into the kingdom way. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do right now. I want you to get really comfortable with this, this line. And I want you just endlessly, right here in the quiet, say it in your head to yourself. But I want you to add two words. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, through me. Will you just close your eyes or look at the screen 
and continually say that and add the last two words, through me. And just sit in that tension and the glory that is possible through that. Go ahead. If you came in late, we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer in a six-part method with the goal of this. Prayer surrenders us and helps to usher in the kingdom of God. That's what that song was just about. And that is why we were actually put here on earth, in the role, in the responsibility, in the context that we're in, to be the people who usher in the kingdom of God. When you get to the middle part of the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us today our daily bread. It's about provision. The first part was about praise, hallowing God. The second part was about wrestling with whose purpose am I living for, his or mine, and ushering the kingdom of God uh, here on earth. But this next part is where we often start, isn't it, when we pray? We skip the first two because, man, we need something, and we're in a dilemma. Or there's someone in our lives that needs something. And you know what? I don't think God's offended by that. But I also think sometimes we can be praying for things that aren't even his intent and will because we skip the first two parts. Because when we trust him as the sovereign God and praise him, and then we actually confess, oh Lord, what's most important is that your will be done, regardless if she lives or dies. Then that probably puts us in the right frame of mind to even ask. Does that make sense? But boy, is that hard in our flesh, and that's one of the greatest tensions we live in. But remember, Jesus was in that same tension. He lived in that same tension. And many of those who we watch follow in the history of the Bible are in that same tension. But don't let that hold you back from asking. It's interesting, recently I've been wrestling with why I don't ask. And there's lines in the Bible, you do not receive because you do not what? So we're told to ask. As much as I just told you, you must praise him and you must align yourself with his will before you ask. There's also lines that just say what? Ask. Ask. Because we know this, asking causes us to be dependent on him. And that is a good thing. And if you think about the aspect of asking, and you think about the different aspects of what it means to ask for your daily bread, it's sometimes physical, isn't it? It's a physical need. It's sometimes financial. It's sometimes emotional. It's often relational, isn't it? But God is wanting to bring his kingdom through all those aspects, and we probably do need to ask, God, what is it you want me to do? when it comes to my finances? What is it you want me to do when it comes to my physical pains and needs? God, what is it with regards to emotion in relationships? And so he wants us to ask because he wants to be the God, the loving Father who meets our needs. Remember, he is the bread of life. In John 6, 35, it says, whoever eats of me will never go hungry nor will they thirst. He wants to satisfy even when maybe we won't be satisfied. So let's ask right now. Would you grab this prayer card? 
We're going to head to our time of offering. You can hand this in. But what is it you want to ask God for, for yourself or for another? And let's be bold about that. If you don't want to hand it in and have others pray about it, that's fine. Just hold on to it. But take a moment and ask, God, I'm asking you for, and mark that down. Take a moment, go ahead and do that. I'll ask the ushers to come down in just a moment. But this is your time to ask, to formally ask. Go ahead and do that. He is faithful in more ways than we realize. And then he calls us probably to one of the most challenging things, the concept of forgiveness. Anybody challenged with forgiveness? How about this? Forgiving yourself. Many of us are challenged most with that. And then how about this? Forgiving another person. When I first was drawn to the love and compassion of the Lord, I think the need to forgive myself was most great. I look back on my life, and I'd seen how selfish I'd been, how I'd intentionally hurt people, how I'd unintentionally hurt people, and there was a lot of guilt. And then there was a lot of shame. Guilt is, you're busted. You did it wrong, okay? You know, you, you, you went over the speed limit, all right? You screamed at them. That's guilt. Shame is when you give yourself a label that I'm that person and I'll never be viewed differently and I'm locked into that way. That's being trapped. And it was beautiful to me when I could confess my sins to God and then confess some other sins to other people that I had hurt to fully get free. And it was amazing how the guilt and the shame would fall off. I always say guilt is like just a stain on you that gets washed out. Shame is a label that's put upon you. That you ever see those bad labels that if you stick them on your clothes and they get wet and then they're still there? That's what shame is. And shame has power to really condemn us. But guilt and shame are freed up because of how we've been forgiven based on the cross. And this line then has such power and forgive us our debts. So there's this ongoing expectation that we should be confessing our sins, even though actually they are forgiven already because of the work on the cross. Isn't that a bit confusing and mysterious? But we need to for our own soul to get rid of the shame and the guilt to continue to confess. And what we know, we are forgiven and God will release us. But the power's released upon us. Like the power of God's love, I'm convinced, is released upon us. It's already there, but we almost receive it again and again and again when we confess. But look at the next line. It's an assumptive clause. I don't even, I'm not very good at English, and I can declare that. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you get what that's saying? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. There's an assumption that we are for what? Forgiving people because of what? Because of how much we've been forgiven. But often we stop and we go, but I can't forgive them. We know this, and let's get some things straight about forgiveness. Forgiveness takes time, okay? We're called to forgiveness and we're called to reconcile. 
To forgive takes one person, you or me. To reconcile takes two. That does not always happen. There's an unwilling party. We should be willing to reconcile, but they're not always willing. So reconciliation does not always happen. So here's what will often happen. We know we're called to forgive, but if the other person's not willing to reconcile, we say, like, well, I can't forgive them. No, no, you can forgive even if they're unwilling to reconcile. And here's where we confuse it more. Trust is the third step. And what happens here is we're called to forgive, we're called to reconcile, but that takes two people, and we're called to trust, but that takes two people. And if the person continues in their unhealthy action towards you, you cannot trust because trust is not something we're called to. Trust is something that's earned. So often as Christians, here's what we'll do. I can't trust them and they never reconcile me, so I can't forgive them. No, 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 no. You can forgive them even though they've never reconciled with you. And guess what? You can't trust them. And this is where you have to probably put a healthy boundary in place, but you can still forgive them. Raise both hands if that's difficult. Yes, that's really difficult. But it's true. But when we forgive those who won't reconcile and we can't trust, who's freed up? Us. You. That's what God's calling us to. Sometimes we don't even have our act together and acknowledge what we've done wrong, right? But God forgives us. God, can he really trust me to do the right thing? I'm a sinful person. But he stays with me. We're just enacting that same thing out to another person. So as we head to the table, the communion table, what I need you to ponder is this. I need you to examine yourself, as Paul tells us in Corinthians. And I need you, before you come, to confess whatever unconfessed sin there is. Maybe it's something from the past. Maybe it's something yesterday. And maybe you can't even think of anything, but allow God just to rise it up. And if nothing comes up, feel the freedom to walk forward and know you have no unconfessed sin. But then I need you also, before you come, to ponder the person that you are struggling to forgive and give them to God and walk forward and come experience the body of Christ that was broken for you so that the wrath of God and his anger against sin didn't and won't come on you, came upon Christ. And then live under the atoning sacrifice of God's blood Jesus' blood that was shed for you. Atoning just means a covering. And that is why he can see you, see you as one he loves. Come and receive that. And take these words that actually are just after the Lord's Prayer. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a controversial statement in the Bible. But I think we need to take it that seriously of how much we need to forgive and the consequences if we do not forgive. So will you come forward after you examine yourself? 
And when you go back to your seat, sit in the mercy and grace and glory of God. And just rest in that and say to yourself, I can't believe I'm so loved. Let us pray. Father, as we sing and as we hear words sung over us, may it bring to mind what we need to confess of our sins and, Lord, who we need to put before you to help us forgive. Lord, it's only by your power and your grace we could experience this. May we experience your freedom as we come forward. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can see from the text, the final part of the prayer declares this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If it began with praise and then rolled in the purpose and then became about asking God for provision and then acknowledging the pardon uh, he wants us to receive in our life, it then moves on to this final declaration about protection. We are people who need protection. We are people who easily go astray. Is that not true? At the core of our being, um, though we're loving, we're also selfish And we have longings that lead us awry. And we have fears and we buy into certain lies that lead us to the wrong ways. We're easily tempted people, aren't we? When I work with people and talk through things, uh, there's these five S's that I often will talk about that lead us astray, that we kind of get lost in. I'd encourage you to write these down. Sensuality is one of them. Sensuality is one of the S's that leads us astray. There's these snares around sensuality. There's these longings we have, which are actually good. They're given from God, but they lead us astray in how we think and then at times actually how we act. Sensuality is one of them. How about another temptation? Substances. Instead of going to the bread of life, we go to bread of your choice. Wine, chocolate, food of any sort. We go to that substance to fill some need we have in us. We're easily tempted by sensuality, easily tempted by substance. Neither are actually bad, um, but the reality is we're easily drawn to them in the wrong ways. How about security is another one. Where we actually find our core security. Do you wrestle with that? Where do you find your security? Too much in money? Too much in what you do? It's tied very closely to the other one of status. Status, our need to be known, our need to accomplish, our need to get the glory versus God getting the glory. Isn't it interesting that we wrestle with these temptations? And then finally, the core one of just selfishness. We want our own way. If you didn't get those sensuality, substance, security, status, selfishness, there's other ways we could declare temptations, but these are things that are tempting to us. When God's saying, no, come, come to me. But Satan tempts us. We believe lies about ourselves, about others. Which one of those gets you the most? Are you most drawn to one of those? Is it a need for security? Is it status? Is it just your plain selfishness? Are you drawn into substance 
or sensuality, these longings? What is it? Which one of those gets you the most? This could often lead us back into confession. What I'd love for us to do today is be prayed over as a congregation to be more and more protected so that we can see when these things have us and we can ask God for help. So I'm asking Russ and Chris to stand up and they're just gonna pray over us as a body with regards to the issue, these issues and for protection from temptation and to be delivered from these things when they have us. Russ and Chris, would you pray over us? Amen. I want to encourage you with one another within your families to talk about what's tempting and to actually pray for one another, pray over one another for that same protection, for that same deliverance. That's how prayer can be used in such an aggressive way to help bind us and also protect us. In many passages, in many versions of the Bible, uh, this last statement is there. But in many versions of the Bible, this last statement is not there. That statement is this. Your kingdom come, or excuse me, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want you just to look at that and say that in your own head right now, not out loud. Just look at that and declare that. This really is the all-in statement. This is declaring Yes, yes, God, yes. This is your kingdom. And you want to bring your kingdom from heaven to earth. Yes, Lord, I want to be a part of that. And yes, Lord, I can do this in your power because your power is greater than any power. And finally, in the end, God, when your kingdom comes through me, through your power, God, I want you to receive the glory because I was put on this earth not to receive the glory for myself, but actually for you to receive the glory because I was made in your image. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm the light of the world. That's why I was put here, God. So this is just redeclaring. Your kingdom is better. Your power is mighty can help me do this. And in the end, God, this is for your glory. Mark down this line so you have it for future reference. Psalm 115.1. It's a very humbling line because I like to live the other way. The line says this in Psalm 115:1, not to us, O Lord, not to us. It actually says that twice. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your great love and faithfulness. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your great love and faithfulness. That's the intent of life. It's easily forgotten. But a prayer like this, working it on a regular daily basis, can help us shift and live in a totally different way and with a different perspective. So what I'd love for us to do, I'd love for us for to stand. And if you'd stand right now, I'd love for us to declare this last line before we sing our final song, Living Hope. So make sure you read that line through, get comfortable with it. We gotta say it with some oomph and meaning, all right? Now, if you're not really believing it and you're new to us and you're like, holy cow, this guy's really pushing it today, all right, it's okay, stay silent because we want to live in an authentic way also as we're trying to do this. But if you're willing, on the count of three, let's declare this together. Ready? One, two, three. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Here's the decision you got to make today. There are, five, there are four full work weeks between now and January 31st. The question is this. Each day, will you arise and at one moment during the day integrate this prayer into your life where you pause and you work through the six aspects of it and you dialogue with God? I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand, but I want you to raise it in your heart. Are you in? And if you are in, here's what I would ask you to do. Email me and let me know how it's going. And here's what's so great. In the days between now and the 31st of January, if you did it half of those days, would that be more connection for you? If you did it a quarter of those days, it would be more connection with you. But what if you did it daily, knowing that it's portable, it can be done anywhere, it can be done formally on paper, there's flexibility. Remember, prayer surrenders us and it ushers in the kingdom of God. That's what we've been called to wherever we are. It's a mystery and it's magnificent. So let us pause and pray. Father, we ask that you would help us go today and be your people. Lord, thanks that you're a moment away. Thanks that our breath is our greatest reminder of you. Thank you, God, that you've made us each uniquely in your image and put us in a specific context. Lord, may we never lose the living hope that we believe in. And may we hold it graciously amongst all those we're around. So Father, go before us, lead us. And all God's people said. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.